Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Eliza Pressman, and today's episode is lovingly brought to you by my friends at Healthy Nest for delicious, soft, incredible diapers that are made with your baby's health in mind, go to healthynesting.com. So today's episode is all things toddlers. I asked you guys on my Instagram to send me your toddler questions, issues, and challenges. And so I'm answering them today. I got a lot of questions. So what I did was I picked the ones that I think will be the most relevant to all of you. And I think it's pretty nice to know that most of the things that happen with toddlers are happening to many, many, many toddlers. You are not alone. So continue to send me your questions, but we'll start with these. I'm touching on things like sleep, tantrums, phobias, little tiny fears, separation, siblings, lots of stuff coming up with toddlers. The first question is, hi, Dr. Elisa. I love your podcast and thank you for your tips. I'm writing to ask you about my almost three-year-old daughter. She's newly noticing bugs on the street or in the grass and has developed a fear of them. She found one or two in the house and she was terrified. We've tried to talk about what they are and normalize bugs being in the environment as much as we can. Do you have any tips on how to navigate this fear? So, A lot of you may notice fears coming up and it's a very age appropriate thing to have happen. You can replace my answer about bugs with pretty much any toddler fear. And the first thing that you want to know is it's normal. And the way you can tell if it's going too far is if it's stopping your toddler from day-to-day joy and functioning. And Part of the thing that you're challenged with is making sure that you can sit with the distress that your children are experiencing so that they don't feel validated to be afraid of those bugs. So if they have an intense fear and you don't make them get any exposure, you may inadvertently tell them, you know what, you should kind of be afraid of bugs. So what you did is wonderful to make sure that you're letting your child know that bugs are in the environment and we share the space with them. You want them to know that you know that they can tolerate exposure to bugs because you know that they're safe, which doesn't mean 
that you're not going to help slowly get them through this and that you're not going to validate the experience that they're feeling really scared. But that's not validating that they should be scared. It's just letting them know you understand how scared they are. And that's a big difference. Now, once you've let your child know that it's okay for them to feel that feeling, that you're not stopping them from feeling that feeling. So invalidating their feelings would be saying something like, but bugs can't hurt you, so you shouldn't be scared. So you don't want to try to rationalize right now in the heat of the moment because it does make them feel invalidated. But what you can do is say, oh gosh, I know a spider bit you when you were sleeping or whatever it is that triggered the first fear or you don't like how they look. And so they're very scary for you right now. Your body is shaking and you're holding onto mommy's leg. So I can tell that you're scared. So now you're naming that feeling and then that's it, but you don't need to rescue them from it. So I can hold your hand and we'll walk across the street or past the bug, but we're not going to avoid it. And remember, if you try to just get rid of the bug or avoid the experience of feeling that awful feeling, which of course we're all trying to do, then unfortunately your child doesn't learn that they actually can survive the awful feeling of anxiety for being afraid. Now you also want to talk about the rational side of things in a totally different context when they're not feeling scared. So when you're not actually seeing a bug or thinking about bugs and everybody's happy, There's actually um, a good worry book called What to Do When You Worry Too Much. And the same series has um, a book about being afraid of bugs. So you can go to Amazon. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, The other thing you can do is, again, when they're not in the heat of the moment, help them name exactly what's going on for them by gently starting them off and telling the story of how they became afraid of bugs. So you might try saying something like, so can you tell me the first time a bug scared you? And you can even write it down or draw pictures. So you can write their words down and encourage them to name the feeling that they were having or the feeling that they're experiencing, even talking about it. And we know from research that when emotions are named, the intense emotional circuitry in the brain is soothed and tamed. That's why there's this the saying, you've got to name it to tame it. So it happens regardless of whether your child is three or 30. This is a very important skill to have. And a lot of parents are concerned that if you talk about an experience, it'll make it worse. But actually what we know is you can actually practice experiencing that fear at a time when you're not threatened, and then you can reduce the intensity of what it feels like to be afraid each time. And then you can use a technique called the stepladder technique, which is a common way to gently expose kids to, in this case, the fear-dreaded bug. And what you do is you pick very gentle steps to gradually expose your child to build that familiarity and confidence in what they'll experience when they see a bug. And that way, over time, they're going to see that they can survive that experience and they don't have to run away from it. What you 
definitely don't want to do is making the bugs all go away, crossing the street if you see a bug, picking them up so that they don't have to step over the bug. It takes patience, but it's really, really valuable to help them learn to understand that that uncomfortable, scary, scared feeling is something they can get through. One thing to remember is to enlist your little one in coming up with what they think they can handle. So you might say, okay, I see that you're scared. There's a bug right there. What can you handle? Can you handle walking around the bug? Can you handle stepping over the bug? Can you handle jumping? So you help them come up with ideas. And again, if in the heat of the moment, it's too hard, you'll talk about it another time. Hey, I know you've been really scared about seeing bugs. What do you think you can handle when you see a bug next time? And I think it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. And I am guilty as can be. Uh, I have my own little quirks. Like I really don't like certain bugs and uh, I don't like mice, rats, anything like that. As a New York City person, cockroaches, rats, those are things that I am terrified of and my kids know it and they actually make fun of me. But you as the parent have to know that if you have any of these quirks and you don't manage them or deal with them or check in with your own response to those things that your kids may pick up on it. Not to say in this case that that's what's happening. And again, no blame given that I've just admitted that there are a number of things that I have irrational fears of, although is it irrational, but it's something to absolutely just check in with yourself about how do you respond? And even if you're not afraid of the specific thing that your child is afraid of, make sure to check in with your emotions that you're not giving off a fear of their fear that you're not so dreading that phobia or that fear that you clam up or look panicked or get anxious because you just so desperately don't want them to have that experience. The next question is how to discipline my toddler when he thinks it's funny to run into the road. We'll be playing outside in the yard or on our swing set and he darts for the road thinking it's funny when I chase after him. I want to be able to enjoy being outside with him without worrying that he's going to run into the road. Thanks. Well, it sounds like your child needs a little bit of help with impulse control. And that is very common for toddlers. And in this particular case, it's very important because it's dangerous to run into the road. It's not just that he's grabbing something he shouldn't grab, which is another impulse control thing, but this is uh, danger. So what you want to do is when you're inside practice games that help with impulse control. So one game is just simply putting on music and doing freeze dance and freezing your body when the music turns off and then moving your body when the music turns on. Another really good game to play for impulse control is something like hot potato or any mother may I red light, green light, any game that basically tricks your body into stopping the impulse to move in a particular way, even though um, it's not supposed to. So the last game that I wanted to mention actually is musical chairs is another really good one for practicing impulse control. So you're going to exercise that impulse control muscle and at the same time, practice holding hands outside and inside, doing running together and then freezing, 
running, freezing your bodies. And when your toddler's really good at that and you'll praise your toddler every single time and say, you froze your body so well. Oh, good. Okay, let's run, 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 run. So you'll do it enough times that then you can practice without holding hands, again, in a safe, contained place without the street. And finally, you can say, you know what? I think you're ready to try going outside and let's do that. And remember, when you get one sidewalk square away from the street or however your living situation is, I don't know if you're in a city or in the suburbs, whatever it is, describe what the appropriate safe distance is from the street that you freeze and then you high five and you always have to hold hands to cross the street. Now, impulse control games are really important for promoting executive function and really good to practice with all toddlers, not just the ones who seem like they have some impulse control problems, because really every toddler needs to practice impulse control. And it's a great thing to practice for any kid who you think is just doing a little too much uh, action before thinking. Hey guys, I'm Maddie Orlando. And I'm Lauren Orlando. As you probably guessed, we're sisters. And we're also co-hosts of the podcast, The Sister Diary. Every week, we let our listeners into real-life conversations like the ones that we have at home. We have an eight-year age gap, so we always have a different perspective on things, but that makes it pretty fun. We talk about navigating life, growing up on social media, and pretty much anything else that we find interesting. You can catch a new episode of The Sister Diary every Friday. This next question is about backtalk. Dear Dr. Elisa, thank you for your amazing podcast. You have such a unique way of blending research and a high-level conversation with everyday mom life. I love it. My issue. I have a four-year-old with constant talkback and negotiations. I stay home with him. We'll start pre-K in the fall. And I try through my explanations to help him understand that he can't talk like that. He doesn't want to take no for an answer. His overall behavior is pretty good. He's just really strong-willed, and I'd like for him to be less combative when something doesn't go his way. Thank you. Thank you so much for your kind words and um, for your question. So it sounds like, I'm not sure if it's backtalk or if it's just not being great at being told no or getting, you know, hearing your boundaries, So what I would encourage you to do is work on first connecting with your child over whatever it is that you are expecting of him that you know he's not going to like. So if you ask him to clear his plate and he doesn't want to do it and he talks back to you or he says like, no, I don't want to, then before you've even asked him to clear his plate, say, I know we've had a really nice meal and that you want to go play, it can be hard to have to do stuff that you don't want to do when you really just want to go play. So let's clear the plates quickly so that we can get that over with, and then we can go play. So what you're doing is you're preempting those moments where you're expecting pushback with letting him know you get it. You are there understanding what he's going through, and you still need to have these boundaries and ask him to comply with whatever it is that you're asking for, but you're setting him up not to be on the defensive. Another thing to try to remember is to focus on 
helping your child know what you want him to do versus what you don't want him to do. So that's called a positive opposite. So instead of saying, no, don't do that and getting into a fight over it, you want to tell him, here's what I want you to do. Let's say he's jumping on the sofa and you want to, your impulse is to say, don't jump on the sofa. You could fall and get hurt or whatever it is. Instead say, oh, you can jump on the floor. You want to jump right now. Let's try jumping on the floor. I can help you. And then you take his body off the sofa if he's not listening right away and you jump together and laugh on the floor so that everything doesn't have to be a battle. And I'm not suggesting that you can just be a preschool teacher all the time and come up with all of these positive opposites, but try as a practice right before you're about to say no and have a battle to think in your head, is there a way for me to phrase this that gives him an active thing to do instead of stopping him or trying to stop him from what he wants to be doing? And that way you might set the tone to be less combative. And the last thing I'll say is if he really is just talking back and using a nasty tone or a disrespectful tone, it's okay, again, to validate his feeling. You're feeling angry that I'm asking you to do something you don't want to do. That could be really hard. And then you can say, there are some things that I have to ask you to do. And when you use that angry tone with me or whatever words that are hurtful, it makes it hard for us to figure out how to get along well and how to communicate. So let's try it again where you can be super angry at me, but you don't use nasty words or you don't use hurtful words or you don't use mean words. And he might even need some ideas. So basically your message is you're allowed to feel however you want to feel, but your behavior, not so much. That goes back to what I always say, all feelings are welcome, all behaviors are not. Okay, you know, this next question comes up so much and I wish I had a perfect answer for it. The question is, at what age is it no longer appropriate for opposite sex kids, parents and siblings to take baths or showers together? We have a four-year-old boy and a one and a half-year-old girl. They love taking baths together and showers with me. And I realize this is probably a topic each family feels different about, but are there any general guidelines or suggestions? So thank you for that question. I cannot tell you how many times I get that question in my groups. I think we've always all talked about it in my mom groups. And here's the best answer I can give you. You're absolutely right. It so depends on each family. But as a general guideline, when kids start to pay sort of too much attention to each other's private parts, when they're touching each other or disrespectfully touching each other or out of curiosity, you really want to stop having bath time together. So when it's sweet and everybody's taking baths and they're not really interested in staring at each other's body parts, it's totally fine. But Usually before, obviously before puberty happens, but usually, you know, by six, it starts to be a little trickier to take baths altogether. So that's something to just consider. And of course, every family is going to have a different answer and it's going to be comfortable or not for different people. When it comes to adults, again, that's really something that you want to think about. What are you comfortable with? What are your children comfortable with? And, you know, 
is there a point where it seems like they're staring quite a bit and want to touch and they're getting a little too old and it just feels uncomfortable? If you feel uncomfortable, chances are your kids are uncomfortable. So for some people that might happen really early. Some people are like, I can't do this. I remember when my um, first daughter was three, she pointed to her dad and she said, daddy has a tail. (laughs) And that was it for him. So I think you have to really just think what is comfortable for you and whatever's comfortable for you, your child's going to pick up on. And it's going to be different for everybody. But in general, by the time you get into school age, it's a little bit uncomfortable for many families, certainly in the U.S., Sorry, I don't have an exact answer for that one, but I hope that helps you with some guidance. The next question is, my kids are fighting constantly. I feel like I'm constantly refereeing. Can you please help me? Quarantine is the worst. Okay, I cannot change quarantine, but I feel you. It's not an easy time with managing sibling conflicts which is why my first recommendation is for you to assess whether this is a conflict that you have to manage. So if you feel like you're a referee all day, something's going on where your kids are getting more attention from you by misbehaving and getting in arguments than they need to. And because they're siblings, and I don't know how old they are in this case, But because they're siblings, they're going to need to learn to work together for their whole lives and to problem solve. So ideally, if nobody's hurt, nobody's in danger, because that's different, which I will get to, and they're just fighting, if you feel they're old enough and they're going to get through it, I would not join them. Just let them figure out how to negotiate together so that they can live in peace and harmony sometimes. Many times they won't because it's very normal for siblings to fight. If there's an age difference where, you know, one is two and one is four, it's not so easy because you could be putting your two-year-old in danger. It's tricky. They still need some emotion coaching. In that case, you might join them. Make sure that you're not coming in and angrily saying, who's right, who's wrong, because you haven't been there the whole time. Or if you were watching, even if you think there's a, you know, a perpetrator and a victim, there's usually some underlying thing that happened that you didn't catch or that's been brewing in the other one. Somebody provoked someone. So you want to let both kids know it's not that you're there to judge. You're not saying the person who did the bad thing is going to get in trouble. Nobody's in trouble but you do need to separate them and help them problem solve. And that's only if their bodies are threatening each other. If their bodies aren't threatening each other, you just need to help them problem solve and give them a little emotion coaching because they're younger, which would basically entail letting them know without judgment how to state what someone is feeling. So basically you're showing them what ultimately they'll do for each other you recognize one sibling's experience is, let's say they wanted to play with a particular toy and you just want to say without 
judgment. Oh, Billy, I see here that you wanted to play with the rabbit, but Timmy was playing with the rabbit. That's it. It's a statement. And then you can say, Timmy, you were playing with the rabbit and Billy wanted to take it from you. So you're first modeling, making sure that they can state what the other person is experiencing. Then you can add some feelings in there and labeling what you think they're each feeling. And as you're doing that, you're also letting them know you're pretty calm. Nobody's getting into any trouble. So they don't have to justify each of them fighting for your attention to decide who's right or who's wrong. You're not actually there to do that. And you might yourself, in fact, before you say anything, when you're navigating conflicts, maybe you take a deep breath in, count to four, a deep breath out, count to four, because you always want to show them through your own actions, how you regulate. And then if they've gotten to a point where they see that you understand what's going on, there's no judgment. Then you can ask them, so what do you guys plan to do about this? And see what they come up with. And if they're having trouble, you can throw in some ideas. But in general, you want them to come up with the plan. And it may feel good for them and bad for you because you think one of them is more wrong than the other. Don't worry about that. The idea is that they're learning to problem solve and that they're learning to stop the escalation of a fight before it gets too intense. Again, if the fight was already really intense, you have to probably intervene by having them kind of take a beat. Everybody needs to go their separate ways for a few minutes. They've maybe been in each other's face too much. If they're having a conflict and their ages are such that they're going to be okay, it just might be loud and obnoxious, let them just do their thing. Don't intervene. Don't participate. If they come to you, let them know that you've seen them solve problems before and you know that they're going to do it. You've got confidence. So you're going to go do something, come back, and you're looking forward to them letting you know how they did it. Or you can just say, guys, this is your relationship. I know you've got this. I'm certainly here to answer questions. So you really want to leave it to them, especially as they get older to navigate their own relationship because you never want one of them to feel like you're taking sides and you can't really not take sides unless you're just incredibly competent. (laughs) And it's just very hard. And somebody's always going to feel like it's not fair. So... Depending on their age, again, you would intervene if there's physical potential for physical violence because you need to separate them so that they can get calm, so that they can then problem solve. If they are younger, you do want to help a motion coach by talking them through the way you problem solve. And if they're older, you simply let them know that you have the confidence that they've got this, that you're there if they need to run something by you, but It's not your thing to intervene on. And one thing that you can also do with siblings, and it kind of lightens it, is you can ask them to tell you what happened 
in the words of the other sibling. So if they do really feel like they've got to tell you the story, they have to speak on behalf of the other one. That helps them role play, put themselves in their other sibling's shoe. And sometimes it just makes everybody laugh. And the last thing is that sometimes you can get your kids to team up together, not against you, but just sort of like, oh God, mom's making us role play again. Forget it. Like, we don't even want this anymore. It's annoying. But at least they've sort of bonded over that. There's a lot to say about siblings, and I'm actually going to have an episode just on siblings again, which I did in the fall with Dr. Joshua Sparrow, because this is a big, giant topic. But for the toddlers, you want to just find some balance between making sure their bodies are safe modeling that self-regulation, emotion coaching through it, not taking sides. And sometimes if you know their bodies are safe, just leaving them to battle. Even by the way, if they're roughhousing, because roughhousing and rough play is totally fine if they know when to stop before it gets out of control. And that is something that takes a real skill that you can only get through practice And it's something that you can do by having like a particular word, which basically means like, guys, 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 we all stop and freeze if we get to that word. It could be banana. So you know that your kids will get better at that. And the only way to get better at that is to practice and kind of get their stuff out. But of course, if they're too out of control, you have to separate them. And one last thing, during quarantine... There is no way that you are going to not get sick of each other as siblings. It's just near impossible, no matter how wonderful it is to have siblings. Try as best as you can, and I know it's so challenging, to get even 10 minutes of alone time with each kid in some way at some point each day. If you can, if that's not realistic, do it every other day or every week but make sure that you find a little bit of alone time with each child so that they each feel seen and heard by you and connect with you separately. And they just have like an escape. That's also something they can do by having alone time with themselves, just having family alone time where everybody may be in the same room even, but it's quiet time and everyone kind of has to do their own thing and just make that a ritual so that everybody and have a little bit a little bit of space even if it's not physical. Okay. This one says, "Hi Dr. Elisa. My friend is having trouble with her two and a half year old. He grew up sleeping in their room. Now that he's moved to his own room, he wakes up throughout the night from 1 to 5 a.m. and just wants them to come sit in his room. Do they need to teach him self-soothing? Is this anxiety? I really want to help her and I thought that you might have some ideas." Thank you. Well, thank you for your question. That's a very nice friend. (laughs) Um, So here's what I would say. Every circumstance with sleep is different. So I'm going to generalize this and give you a little bit of information. The first thing to remember is that night is a really tough time for kids, especially if they've been co-sleeping and transitioned out of that. It's a really difficult time of separation and it's dark and it's lonely and it can be really scary for kids. 
So starting the nighttime rituals with something calm and soothing and even having a couple of things in bed that you know give you a sense of calm and peace, maybe picking one of mommy or daddy's shirts out and a lovey that you really feel comfortable with, some pictures that make you happy in case you wake up, anything that helps you feel calm and have a nighttime ritual going to bed and saying, remember when you wake up, you can hug mommy's shirt. You can look at these pictures. And then I want you to close your eyes again because we all need to get a good night's sleep. And if we wake up and have to come into your room, nobody sleeps. Then of course, that's not going to just work miraculously, although sometimes it does. But I would also say it's much easier to get yourself out of a child's room than into your room. So I am kudos to them for not bringing their child back into their room after they've worked so hard to get him in his bedroom, which is another, another whole conversation. But what you want to do is don't say anything. If you do go in the room in the middle of the night, don't make it cozy and delicious. You can just sit there in the doorway and say, I'll sit here for a few minutes. You close your eyes, deep breath in. This is a two and a half year old. So it's really um, quite a bit harder to um, do these kinds of breath exercises. So actually I take that back. What I would do is I would take a stuffed animal or a lovey and I would do a breathing buddy and say, when you feel like you can't go back to sleep or you need mommy here, I'm going to be in the hallway and you do this breathing exercise with your breathing buddy, put him on your tummy and take a deep breath and let your tummy rise up. And then the stuffed animal rises up and then comes back down. And you do that four times to just get their body regulated. But really they're going to need certain things to help them feel calm. And then you can leave the room, come back in, check on them, let them know that you will. Now, if they're two and a half years old, they should be in a crib still up until age three, typically. So they won't be coming to get you. So then you have a couple of choices. If you've helped them through, you've given them the breathing buddy, you've helped them understand that you're there, but you're not going to stay in the whole night. Then you can let them be uncomfortable, even cry because you know you've left them with all of the things that they need to feel soothed in the nighttime, except for you. If you're uncomfortable with that, which some people are very uncomfortable with that kind of distress for their kids, then the best that you can do if you don't want that kind of distress is just sort of wait and pull yourself further and further out of the room into the hallway, but reassure them that you are there, but you're just staying out. And lastly, if you need to, you can always give a small reward and practice during the day, staying calm in bed in the nighttime. And then in the morning, you know, you can do some kind of reward. Now, I really don't like giving behavior rewards for things where there needs to be internal motivation. You don't want to give kids rewards for things when They shouldn't need an outside reward or motivation to do the behavior. 
For something like sleep, similar to potty training, I really don't care if a kid is motivated internally to get a good night's sleep or externally because they're getting a trinket. It doesn't matter to me. You need them to have good sleep. That's what our bodies need. That's what our brains need. That's what our behavior needs. And when they're adults, they're not going to need a reward to get a good night's sleep. They're going to have a habit. Just like potty training, once you've learned how to pee in the potty, you don't look for a sticker anymore. So I have no problem with during the day saying, you know, you've been having trouble at night, staying in your bed and staying calm and we all need to get sleep. So let's practice right now. Pretend you're asleep and you wake up in the middle of the night and you don't scream and you just hold on to my t-shirt and you have your breathing buddy and you stay calm. Then you're going to get, and then you can have whatever reward you choose in the morning. That's, you know, a total personal choice. And you can make a chart and you can put stickers on it and you can count up the stickers and get a bigger reward. But with a two and a half year old, it's very, very unlikely that they're going to remember to count over the days. So this is a very young child. And lastly, if this is about not liking being uncomfortable and crying at night when a child is really wanting their parents, but it's going on for days and days and days and days, it's usually just a habit that needs to be broken. And I know that's really hard. And this is a very general, um, because I probably need a lot more information, but you can use that to just start some different tactics to try to get better sleep. Okay. I have so many more questions and not any more time. So I'm going to do one last one about tantrums because I know it's, I, I got quite a bit of these, so I picked one but I will do another episode because I know we've got a lot of toddler questions. And so here's the last one. It says, my three-year-old will often get frustrated and start crying or screaming or throwing for various reasons. Can't get her shoes on. A toy won't work the way she wants, et cetera. I feel like the reaction is way disproportionate to the problem, but I let her have her reaction. And then I try to pull her in with, let's have a talk to try and understand the feelings and avoid it again, but she usually becomes frustrated with that and screams, I don't want to talk, and runs away. Is there something that I can do differently to validate her feelings while also keeping her from spiraling into this meltdown? Okay, so the first thing to remember is that these meltdowns happen, they're totally normal, and they do seem disproportionate because it's very hard for adults who have perspective to understand just how big and real feelings can be over a toy that doesn't work the right way. But it's really important for the grown-ups to understand that for a child, that big feeling feels the same as when we have that big feeling for something we think is proportionately appropriate. So rather than try to convince your child that that's just not worth being really upset about, and I appreciate that you said you let her have her big feeling. Let's talk about how to help her right before she freaks out. What is it that's going on for her if she's frustrated with the toy? What can you do to sort of step in as she's about to flip her lid and say, oh, I see that toy is really hard to, you know, that box is really hard to open. It seems like it's really, really, really stuck and you're trying so hard. I wonder if we turn it and we just 
pick the lid a tiny bit, that would help. I'm just making that up, obviously, but just you want to talk them through some problem solving because they don't know it yet. And through doing that, they might figure out how to work the toy. Now to stay on the toy thing, if your child is getting frustrated with things that are above her pay grade, like they're not just a challenge, but they're actually inappropriate for her age and she was never going to get it, get rid of those things because they're only going to lead to tantrums. Then if she gets to the tantrum because you weren't able to preempt it and she's freaking out, sit there with your body, take a deep breath in, remind yourself that a good mom has kids who tantrum. It's not related. (sighs) Take a deep breath out just to regulate yourself because remember you're co-regulating at all times with your kids and a tantruming kid needs a mom who she can borrow some calm from. And after she's finished tantruming, If she's calm, then you can just state the feeling that you witnessed. You were so upset. You had such big feelings about that toy. You don't have to say anything else. See if she agrees with you. See if she needs a hug. See what's going on. Then you can pick up from there, redirect, See what else you can do. Don't dwell on it. Don't have a long conversation about it. Another time, way into the day, not during a time when she's just had an emotion, a big feeling of any kind, then you could say, you know, I was thinking about it. I wonder if you wanted to talk about whatever that big feeling was. You can table it and talk about it later, but you don't want to talk about it in the heat of the moment or just after. Because once they're calm, what they need is to connect with you, to hear that you understood what they just experienced, and then for your body to be open in case they need some physical contact to feel better, or they just need to move on. This way, you're connecting with them. You don't, by the way, just side note, when a child is tantruming, don't try to talk to them then. You can't tell them that you're empathizing. You can't validate their feelings. They're spiraling, they're loud, they can't hear anything. You just need to physically show them that you are there when they're ready to receive you. Thank you for listening. I know this was a lot of toddler stuff and there's a lot more to come. Please continue to send your direct message questions to my Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast. And I hope that you all are doing well, staying safe and healthy and have a good week.